Mac Power Users, Episode 18, Managing the Onslaught. So welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my co-host David Sparks. Feeling a little under the weather today, David. I am actually doing great, Katie. Just getting over a cold and uh, a little congested. You, you know, better I hardly, be getting over one. Yeah, I hardly ever get sick, but boy, this one has really uh, congested me a lot. I, the only thing I found that works is Jack Daniels, but I didn't think it would be very good if I did that before the show. That might make an interesting show. Yeah. That's true. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about the onslaught today. I'm kind of excited about this topic. Yeah. Now, maybe define for people, because I think the onslaught is your term. What is the onslaught? It's the information that attacks you every day if you're a web person. Okay. And I thought we'd talk first a little bit about, you know, where it came from. Uh, back in the day, you know, they first started putting computers on the Internet for consumers. There were services like CompuServe and AOL. And I don't know if you remember or not, but I, I remember the first time... I logged on to CompuServe and I saw those menus where I could get news and information and stock quotes like, you know, like I have money for stock quotes. But the um, it just blew me away that all that information was just right on your screen. You had this window to the world. Well, and some of the information was very easy access, but others you had to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and you had to get into forums and you had to get into news groups and there were all kinds of, you know, primitive message boards at that time and um, chat. And, you know, it, it was great because it was new, but we've kind of moved beyond that now. Yeah, and then there was the baby web. You know, HTML started and people started making websites. And that was another, you know, kind of revolutionary move. And I remember when I first realized you could get a web browser and go look at somebody's page. And, you know, there was a part of me that just wanted to read all of them, you know. <laughs> but... um even back then, it might have been possible, <laughs> but very quickly that was not possible. And so we started collecting bookmarks in our in our web browsers. And then you had to go, and I remember, honestly, not that long ago before I advanced myself, of having this folder full of 20 or 30 of my bookmarks of my favorite sites that I would check one after the other after the other, you know, once or twice a day. Yeah, so that's exactly what happens. You got, you know, jump forward to the modern web and you've got people that have a bunch of bookmarks and they physically go and click on each one and read the contents. And that works, but it's very slow. And, you know, you don't know what's new and what's not new. And it takes a lot of time. Well, just kept, you had to keep a lot of things in your head to keep it managed because you just go, okay, I've seen that. Okay, I've seen that. No, nope, that's not new. Maybe I haven't seen that. And then especially if you tend to follow particular topics, they all blur together at some point because a lot of the sites, you know, overlap in their coverage. Yes. And that's what has led to um, the onslaught. So you've got all these this data thrown at you every day. Um, you've got the websites that you like. You've got links that are sent to you by your friends. Uh, you see links on Twitter. Um you know, just wherever you're at, there's this information just thrown at you. And, and then it seems like everything you read then branches off and leads you to other things. Exactly. You'll get, you'll get into an article, and that'll be interesting, and that'll have five links that you'll want to check out. And very quickly, you can lose all track of time and space. And I thought tabs was really cool. Or new. Do you remember in the before tabs, 
you would have new windows. And before you knew it, as you were digging deep into an article, you would have 45 windows open in the background and you, everything would crawl to a screeching halt. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you had like 45 tabs and then everything would crawl to a screeching halt. So yeah. it didn't so work you, very well. So you could basically quit your job, you know, stop, um, taking care of yourself, uh, you know, stop showering, all that stuff. And just spend all your time chasing all these links that are throwing at you. And I think the point is you don't want to do that. We hope not. So we've got a solution, and that's the uh, the RSS. Really yeah. simple syndication. Well, and it is. It is very simple for the consumer, and it's getting pretty simple now for people to generate their own RSS feeds. Yeah, so before we get to it, let's just kind of step back. Because if you look at statistics, actually there are a very small percentage of Internet users that use RSS, although I would assume a lot of our listeners are already on board. I would assume so. This is a topic, um, you know, as I've mentioned before, I run a Mac users group, and it tends to cater to probably more novice users than not, more novice and intermediate. And every couple of years I try to bring up and, and do at least, you know, a half hour or so on RSS. And every couple of years there are a few more people who are using it, um, but it just it still surprises me how many people aren't. And then, you know, how sometimes it's it's a very hard concept to get. And before you go and start firing off your email to us about how basic this episode is, we're going to talk about some advanced uses for it in a minute. Right. But before we get there, let's talk about the basics of RSS. So what it is is there is a feed created by any particular website, Max Sparky, for instance. And if you subscribe to it in an RSS, uh, you have an RSS reader, and we're going to talk about those in a minute. But that will pull down all of the articles and the basic text of those articles, depending on how much I set to go out at Max Sparky, I send it all out, but on some websites you only get like the first paragraph. So you can go to your RSS reader and very quickly see what's new and what the content is on that website. Is that a fair statement? You think that's a fair statement and we'll get into more details about RSS readers, but I think RSS really didn't become useful until we got these more advanced readers because if you if you use RSS and just in Safari or Firefox and you click the little RSS button at the top, all you get is your web page turns into a link of headlines. And that works great for that one particular site, but then you still got to go to your 45 other sites and check those. Yeah, so we talked about doing it with one site. Now take a, take, take a look at all of those bookmarks on your Safari or your browser of choice, and you could make an RSS feed for each one of those and have a big collection. So RSS is basically a way, um, as I like to describe it to the more, you know, more basic users, instead of you having to go out and check every website every day, multiple times a day to see whether they've updated, it's a way for those websites to kind of send out that information to you as long as you know how to look for it. Yes. Now, you can be creative with RSS. Uh, just about any website can be turned into it. A lot of them have the RSS feed built in. And you'll see the little icon. It usually looks like a little orange radar symbol. Right. And um, But you don't even have to do that. I, for instance, have made RSS feeds of some Twitter feeds. These days, RSS is so common that just about anything that is, for lack of a better word, bloggy in nature, meaning you're getting you know, little or big snips of information on a regular basis, typically can be made into an RSS feed. Yeah, the, the Twitter feed I use is really neat, by the way. It's called Long Reads, and they pick some long articles out of different magazines. It may be GQ or Foreign Affairs, and uh, it's just an interesting collection of them. And I 
subscribe to that in my RSS so then I can find things that I may want to read later. Right. Okay, so uh, we've talked a little bit about the basics of RSS. Now let's talk about using RSS on the Mac. Well, the first way we really saw RSS on the Mac, and this is going back a couple of years ago, is when we started seeing RSS built into web browsers. And I talked about that a little bit earlier because everybody was all excited. We've got RSS in our web browsers, and we still do. You still have an RSS button in Safari or in Firefox. But again, you have the problem that you're only looking at the specific RSS feed of the page that you happen to be on. So if I go to Mac Sparky, I'm going to see Mac Sparky's RSS feed. If I go to Mac Power Users, I'm going to see Mac Power Users' RSS feeds. But I've still got multiple tabs or multiple windows open on my site. So that was around for a while, but I'm not really sure how helpful it was. And I think that almost maybe turned people off to RSS because they realized, well, how is this really all that different um, from going to the actual sites? Yeah, and if you look at uh, Safari, for instance, they have RSS turned on as the RSS browser when as the default. Right. So when you set up a new Mac, you'll see all these numbers and parentheses showing up next to the tabs on your menu bar. Now, is it still, or did they move the default to Mail.app when Mail got RSS? Uh, when I just set up with Snow Leopard, it did that for all of my Safari pages. So I'm oh, presuming wow, that that's, surprises me. Yeah, but you can go into the preferences in Safari and turn that off but I guess they're just trying to get someone started on it. Right. Um, but as you had referenced, uh, with, I believe, Leopard uh, 10.5, they put RSS into the Mail app, which is really nice as well. And that's another way to, to browse your RSS feeds by setting, that, up, setting okay. them up inside the Mail application. Go ahead. That seems to make a lot of sense for people who only follow a couple of RSS feeds. Because if you're only following a couple of RSS feeds... It is almost like getting email. You know, you go to your email app to see what's new, and in your email app is there RSS feed section where you can see what's new with your particular um, item of choice. And again, for example, using the basic Mac user group example, I've set up an RSS feed for our Mac user group that gives people updates of if the meeting has changed, if the room has changed, you know, what are the topics at that meeting. I send that out by an RSS feed. And there are a lot of people who I have said, if, if you do nothing else with RSS feeds, set up this one or these two in mail.app. And then to them, it's almost, although it's not the same thing as getting an email, it's, it's the same, I go to my mail application to see what's new. I can also go see what's new in my RSS feed too. Okay, so I don't think mail.app is a power user RSS tool. But not at all. I think it's good for power users setting up other people's Macs. Uh, when I've put Macs together for friends who are not really computer savvy, and it's the same thing, I might put CNN in there and, of course, Mac Sparky and a couple other things. Uh, and it's really nice for that. Uh, when I set up family members' Macs, I, I put the family mobile me gallery RSS feed in mail. And they always like that because then they know whenever I update with new pictures. So when you're setting somebody up, the Mail.app is a, is a nice way to go because, frankly, if you go to one of these more exotic solutions with a separate app, it's unlikely that they'll actually launch it. So this is a good way to make sure they get the information. That's true, but you can very quickly, once you get into RSS and once you move beyond that, that novice stage, um, RSS can very quickly become overwhelming, and especially in a program that's not designed towards more power users like Mail.app. Yes, so let's talk about your RSS app of choice. My RSS app of choice has been through a little controversy recently, um, but I think I like it again. Uh, and I'm talking of NetNewsWire. 
um, for those who aren't aware of some of the history, Net Newswire was this great service that had this back end with NewsGator and you could sync all of your devices. And I think I actually paid for it, you know, nominal amount at, at one point. And it was just this really, you know, web browsery type of interface that had great folders and clippings and thinking, keeping things in sync. Um, and then all of a sudden, really without a whole lot of warning, um, the underlying service, NewsGator, that kept a lot of those things in sync, decided to stop working. They were changing their business model. Um, so instead, they decided to hook on to the Google Reader backend, which I think you're going to be talking about a little later. Um, and then we went through about four months of where everything was chaotic, and maybe not quite four months, but it was it was definitely a couple of months where everything was chaotic, and a lot of people left Net Newswire and started going out and exploring alternative options for RSS readers, which you know wasn't necessarily a bad thing because for so long Net Newswire had been the RSS aggregator on the Mac, so I think it gave an opportunity for people to see. What, out, what else was there and, and what some other developers were doing. Um, but eventually things have settled down, and I would say that Net Newswire is just about back to its baseline functionality um, as it was before all this changes. There are still a few issues, um, particularly with, with starring and clipping items that I'll talk about a little bit later, but there's some workarounds, and apparently Net Newswire is, is aware of the bugs. But what I like most about NetNewsWire, it's a very Mac-friendly app. You feel like you're in a Mac app. You almost feel like you're in Safari once you open your news. Um, but it gives you the ability to really organize and categorize your feeds into detail. So I have a feed for local news. I have a feed for national news. And then I have several feeds for, uh, or several, I'm sorry, not feeds, categories um, for tech-related topics that I may have you know, initially they all started in this one big tech folder, and then I've I've broken them up more into um, Apple news and more into general tech news. Um, and then I have a kind of a category of, you know, miscellaneous or, or family feeds where I follow certain people's blogs or certain people's web pages. But it gives you this great ability um, to take all of these feeds and, and organize them in a method that works best for you. Um, you can set it to update on a certain schedule. Um, I think mine's set to every 30 minutes or every hour. Um, and it will go out and check your feeds. And you'll get this um, initial listing um, that you can then categorize depending on your folders of what's new in these particular feeds. And in the first pane, um, you'll just get information with headlines like you're used to seeing in an RSS feed. Um, but if you want to read something, if you just double-click on a link, it will open, uh, depending on how you have your your settings, it will open up in a, in a new tab, and um, it uses the same engine as Safari. Why am I blanking on the name of the, the engine? WebKit? Web, WebKit, yes, thank you. Um, it uses the same WebKit engine as Safari, so you do have a full-fledged uh, web browser in NetNewsWire. So you can decide whether you want to open up tabs like you would see them in a web page or whether you just want to get summaries of stories. Um, and then you have a lot of uh, more advanced features such as um, you can clip the stories to read for later. Uh, you can upload certain links to a web blog. You can email links out to stories. You can post them to Delicious. Uh, and they're all thing, kinds of things that you could do with NetNewsWire. Now, were you a NetNewsWire user before some of those 
transitions went on? Yeah, I paid for Net- Newswire several years ago, and then it became free after I paid for it. But uh, yeah, me too. You know, Net Newswire always seemed like kind of the premier native Mac app news feed application. There were several um, out there. Some of them were free, and uh, I actually paid for Net Newswire because I thought it was the best one, and I liked the way it rendered the pages. But I always had some problems using it. Uh, the process of starring or calling attention to an article was kind of tedious. Mm-hmm. At least the last time I used it, you had to use a key combination. That, and so it was kind of tedious to do that. And when you'd open it, it did use WebKit, but it didn't really allow you to use some of the tricks that I use in Safari and key combinations. And I'll talk about those in my workflow. So I never was really that happy with it, to be honest with you. And when they switched over to Google Reader, and they had so many problems, I got thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to go to Google Reader, I might as well find something that is dedicated to Google Reader and does a better job at it. So I started looking around, and I found some some new solutions. I'm going to go through my workflow in a bit, but uh, I have not had the desire to go back to NetNewsWire, even though I know they've fixed a lot of things, because my current system works for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, have run into that issue with NetNewsWire, and I'm I'm willing to bet that NetNewsWire lost a fair number of customers. I'm not really sure why they made that transition or why they made it the way that they did, but I think there were a lot of things about that transition that could have been done better. Um, but I will say that for the most part, it's it's back to baseline, which is kind of frustrating when you think, you know, you had this great service that worked well, and then you had to put up with it several months of flakiness, and now here you are you know, four to six months later down the line and you've got it back to working the way that it did, you know, six months previously. Another popular Mac application for reading news feeds is called Newsfire. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe that one is by, I should have pulled this up ahead of time, the same guy who does XTorrent, I think. And it's got a really nice looking user interface. And... I will. Uh, I'll put the. I'll put it in the uh, show notes. The uh, the uh, link for it. Uh, but Newsfire is another one. Uh, that one is a paid for application. Uh, supposed to be pretty good. I haven't worked with it too much. Uh, another service that's kind of interesting is called Feed a Fever. Have you heard about this one? Mm-mm. It's a. It's it's really a new take on news feeds and RSS. It's a web app. You actually have to host it on on a server, so it's not that easy to set up. Uh, but it does some analysis of your feeds, and it gives them a temperature. So it looks at what you're interested in and tries to do the job of finding the stuff that you're really interested in for you. So if you only have a few minutes, it's going to pull the articles based on your history and the way you read to the top, which is a really neat idea. I spoke with John Chandler over at The Creativityist, Creativityist, that's hard to pronounce. John has a great website, and he's been running Feed a Fever for some time, and he's really happy with it. And uh, he offered to come on and do an interview with it, and we may try and get that in, but uh, with the timeline in my cold, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But that is something to look at, too. It's kind of a next-step solution. Uh, My solution really focuses on Google Reader, but before we get into that, we have some good news uh, we'd like to share. We are now sponsored. Yeah, we would like to send out a, a big thank you to Smile on My Mac, who has picked us up for a little while as a sponsor. And I think David and I are both um, so thrilled that the first sponsor of our podcast is really a company that we both have a lot of respect for and that we genuinely, you know, love their products. 
Yeah, I think that Smile on My Mac is a really good fit for the Mac Power users because a lot of our our listeners are, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, productivity geeks, and you know, they like to get things done on their Macs, and that's what Smile on My Mac really focuses on. Their entire line of software is built around, you know, getting things done faster and more efficiently on your Mac. And so today we're going to talk about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro, which is one of their flagship products. It's their PDF viewer and editor application. And it is one of the first products that I load onto my Mac. And it's also one of the products that I recommend most to people who say, you know, gosh, I need to do more with, with PDFs. I want to be able to sign stuff. I want to be able to reorganize things. And, you know, OS 10 was so cool because I can do some of that now. But gosh, I don't want to spend $800 for Adobe Acrobat. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting dilemma. When you get your Mac, it comes with Preview, which is a great app for dealing with uh, uh, PDF files. Uh, but it does have its limits. And then there's Adobe Acrobat, which is very powerful, but it's also very sluggish. It takes a long time to boot it up, and it's very expensive. I mean, the last time I looked on online, I think the cheapest copy I could find was about $350. Yeah, I think there are more pro versions beyond that. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things Adobe does that makes me crazy is they only sell Adobe Acrobat Professional on the Mac. They don't sell the basic Adobe Acrobat. So you're looking at either, you know, being a little bit crippled with preview or spending $350 or more for the Adobe product. Well, PDF pen is the great fit in the middle. Um, it gives you a lot more power than preview. It's got things like OCR built in so you can do an optical character recognition of your entire file. And Which we has gotten a pretty significant upgrade in the last version of PDF Pen. Yeah, and we talked about that uh, when we did our paperless episode because that's a great solution if you want to go through an OCR, the stuff that you're scanning in. Uh, it has allows you to keep digital snippets so you can put your digital signature on documents. Which, ironically, when we did the contract with Smile on my Mac, I used PDF Pen to sign it. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Um, so you've got a custom stamp system. You can edit a scanned original, so you can actually pull text out of a scanned file. And, you know, we're in the middle of tax season, so this is a good time to get your PDF pen uh, application and use it for all, the, all those things you need. Yeah, lots of forms going back and forth between the accountant, lots of IRS forms to pull off their web pages, and not all of them are easily editable. editable. Or, or even just marking up things so you can, you know, distinguish what is for is for what. Uh, there's another version called PDF Pen Pro, that adds the ability to create custom forms. And it also has a great feature that I use all the time, which is the table of contents. And just, you know, I think I talked about this also briefly during one of our shows, but uh, a lot of times at my office, since we're working on PCs and Macs, one of the ways I handle a lot of evidence is I just create one big massive PDF file with the key contracts and documents and change orders or whatever we're dealing with. And then I put table of contents markings in PDF pin pro so I can just go to the index of the document and jump all over it. And then I can find my highlights or particular contract provisions. It's very easy to do in PDF Pen Pro. And right. it's a lot cheaper than going with Adobe Acrobat Professional. So you can get it at uh, smileonmymac.com slash MPU. Now, if you're listening to our show, please go buy at MPU, uh, the MPU link, because that helps us out, uh, lets them know that our listeners care. And you can get it uh, for $50 for PDF pin. But if you've got a family and you want five licenses, it'll only cost you $75. And for PDF pin pro, it's a hundred dollars for a single license or a family pack of five for $130. 
And as an added bonus, it doesn't even always, it doesn't help just us, but if you do order between the Mac Power, uh, by the Mac Power users link, which we also put a link to in the show notes, you actually get 20% off your order. And so that's at smileonmymac.com slash MPU. All right. And uh, again, we're very pleased to have Smile on My Mac on board and thank them for their support of our show. And that, by the way, that 20% off is only through the end of February. So now's the time to uh, go load up on your Smile on My Mac products. Okay, so getting to my my system, I switched over to Google Reader. I've actually been kind of flirting with Google Reader for years where I jump back between NetNewsWire and Google Reader. And to be honest, the reason was when I open documents in um, NetNewsWire or open files, it just didn't feel as comfortable to me as opening them in Safari. And there was a setting in NetNewsWire where you could actually have it open in Safari rather than inside the application. Mm-hmm. And then I'd find myself doing that, and I'd say, well, why am I really doing this? Now I'm jumping between two applications, and it's getting more complex than it needed to be. And when NetNewsWire had all those problems, I said, okay, I'm going to really dedicate myself to to figuring out the onslaught in just Google Reader. And that's what I've done. So uh, Google Reader is web-based, and it's really the only Google service that I really use extensively. I'm not really excited about their mail and some of the other stuff, but I think their Reader application is great. Okay, so you can open it up in a browser just like uh, you know another web page, and you can customize it very easily. Just like NetNewsWire, you can set categories. For instance, I have some for news. I have some for interesting technology, some for Mac, um, some for friends and family. So I've got these various folders that I've created with these different feeds in them. Once you've got it set up, it's very easy to click on them or just check one specific folder or all of them. And they also have some very interesting sharing features they're adding in, which I have to admit I don't use. Uh, For some reason, Tim Verport and I somehow became Google Reader buddies or something, so I guess we can read each other's feeds if we'd like, but uh, I haven't really aggressively checked that out. And I guess I don't really want to get too far down that road because I don't have enough time for my own feeds, much less everybody else's. But it's kind of a neat feature if you're interested in the social aspect. But the thing that makes it really sing is that it's all in Safari, and it works very easy. You know, it's very keyboard friendly and mouse friendly, so you can get through your feeds very quickly. There's um some interesting iPhone integration with it as well, and I know that you did some iPhone integration with it, Newswire, right? Um, I do, and I also because NetNewsWire is integrated with Google Reader, I also have the option of using Google Reader if I'm on another machine. Yeah, which is an added bonus. Well, the trick with Google Reader is, you know, to go through and star the articles you want to read and mark as read the ones that you're not interested in. And I actually do that. I guess the first step of my management of the onslaught is on the iPhone. Because I really, I'm sorry, go ahead. You use the iPhone primarily? You don't uh, open up it in a Google Reader or? No, the iPhone is triage for me. You know, okay. I, I, so I open the iPhone Google Reader app, and there's several of them. Uh, there's, you can actually, Google has its own. You can use the web page, which formats itself for a mobile platform very easily. And then there's several third party applications in the App Store. And to be honest, I've spent way too much money buying several of them because I can never be satisfied. But the one I'm using currently is called Mobile RSS, which I really like. Um, so it, opens up your feeds and you can very quickly just scan down them with your finger and you can just look at the titles and it has a little blurb or you can read read the actual feed and then you can mark it as read 
or you can star it, or you can send it to someone, or you can send it to Instapaper. And I'm going to talk about the beauty of Instapaper in a minute. But the main thing I do is this triage. So I'll go through in the morning uh, while I'm eating breakfast or whatever and just flip through the RSS feeds that I haven't checked in the last 12 hours. And I can star the ones that look interesting to me. I don't necessarily read them, but I can go through and find the ones that are interesting, and then I mark as read everything else. And so when I'm done, uh, I can go to my Google Reader on my Mac, and I only see the starred articles that I had picked out, and I don't have to deal with kind of filtering through them all on my computer. With me? Yeah, I guess I'm just surprised. I would think uh, that it would be easier to do the triage um, on your Mac just because it's a you know bigger interface. It's going to be easier to read than the iPhone. But it's not there while I'm having toast and tea. Okay. Well, my Mac is there when I'm having breakfast. But I, yeah, yeah. I guess you're more social than I am. <laughs> well, you know, it works anywhere. You know, if you're stuck at a courthouse, if you're stuck at work, if you're on the bus, whatever, uh, you can go through your RSS feeds and clean them out. Uh, and, you know, I do it two or three times a day. And it's very convenient for me to do it that way. And I guess that's that's the time I find easiest to do this stuff. So that's why I'm really excited about having a good application on my iPhone to do that. Uh, so I go through and, and adjust the feeds. And then I get on the Mac at some point uh, to read ones that are of interest to me. Um, so in the Google Reader application, there's a lot of great keyboard tools um, the the four key uh, the four key combinations you want to remember are J K V and S. So those are the ones I use the most. So if you're on the keyboard in Google Reader and you hit J and K, it will jump down to the next article or up to the previous article. So if you don't want to deal with the mouse, and the way I usually do is I just open my starred articles in Google Reader, go to the first one, and I hit J, and you know I can read it there. If you hit the space bar, it'll cycle down the screens if it, if there's more to read. So you finish reading that article, and then you you know you decide what you're going to do with it. Um, some of them you just need to read, and you're done with it. You needed to capture the information. Some of them may need you to do something else with them. So uh, you could do it right then, but then I I process those as my next step. So but so what I'll hit then is is the V letter and the View letter, and that'll open up a separate tab with that article in it. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I'll hit the S key. And the S key unstars that article. So so basically saying, this can go out of my star, I've read it. Yeah, so basically I open this, the uh, starred articles in Google Reader. I hit J, K, V, or S. Actually, I hit J or K to, to cycle between them. I hit V if I want to view it, and I hit S. If it's something I don't need to do anything further with, I don't hit V. I just hit S and unstar it, and then hit J and go to the next one. So very quickly, I can go through the feeds, and when I'm done, I'll have read several of them and been done with them. I will have opened tabs of fewer of those, so there'll be a bunch of tabs open, and I'll have unstarred everything. Okay, so that's kind of the the first step. So you go through it, you've read them, you've starred them, and you've you if you do what you want, and then you have to start going through those tabs you've opened. And I just go to the very first tab and I look at it. And there's a couple things that may happen with it. if I've if I've marked it to view, it may be because uh, it's something I want to do a project based on. It may be an article I want to write. Um, follow up on and do some research on for something at Max Sparky or something for work. So at that point, I will highlight that link and add it to OmniFocus. And it's very easily in Safari. You just hit Command-L, and that highlights the uh, the um, 
the uh, the URL in the top bar, and then using OmniFocus, you hit your um, you know magic add key combination. For me, it's uh, Control Shift C, I think, and then that opens a new item. You could do the same thing in Things, and it it puts that link right into the item. So then you've got all you have to do is type in you know research this for Smith case and put in your date. You know we talked about you know how we do tasks earlier in a different show, but so you just add it as a task in the future. And then you shut that tab down, so you've done with it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I know I'm kind of rambling here, so I'm going to try and stop once in a while. So the next thing you may have, you see, you may see an article, and this is like a good example with those long reads. I like to read long articles, and I, and so I decide I might want to read it later. And it may not be something where it's got a bunch of links in it, but just something like, uh, you know, something spiritual or maybe something, you know, uh, a law article. They just made some changes to one of the laws in California. I work with a lot and somebody wrote like a 2000 words on it. So what I do with those is I send them to Instapaper. Now, have you ever used Instapaper, Katie? Yeah, I have. But before you get into Instapaper, would this maybe be a good time for me to talk a little bit about how I do everything that you do, but in NetNewsWire? Yeah, sure. Okay. So my workflow is is fairly similar. Um, you know, the first thing that you do when you open up the NetNewsWire application, and perhaps I have a little more time when I do this. I I tend to do this at my desk first thing in the morning. Um, you know, as I'm as I'm drinking my morning coffee. So the first thing I'll do is I'll open up the NetNewsWire application, and then I have a smart list that I call new, which is basically everything new that has come in that's that's unread. Um, or if, if that's too overwhelming, typically what I do is I have a series of folders. I have local news, I have national news, I have, you know, tech news that's subdivided into a couple of different folders. Um, and then I have kind of a miscellaneous and personal feed section. So these are all folders that contain, um, all of the RSS feeds that are in those particular, um, categories for me. And I have over 50 RSS feeds, so I guess a lot of people would say that's a lot, but I know a lot of people who have a lot more feeds than I do. Um, so for example, usually I start out with news. So I go through my news and I, I scan the headlines. And at this point, um, you know, for example, um, looking at my headlines, I'm looking at the headlines in CNN right now, and it says, uh, brain scan detects PTSD, scientists say. So I've, I've got a, a little blurb, and, and there's a way that you can have NetNewsWire show um, only headlines, or you can have it show headlines with a brief summary. So if I turn on the summaries, you know, I see brain scan detects PTSD, and then I see a line and a half talking about post-traumatic stress and a study with Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. So usually what I'll do is I'll scan through the headlines, and I'll know from the headline pretty quickly if this is something that I'm interested in at all. Um, if I have a little time, which I usually do in the morning, um, I go through and I double click on the stories in a particular category that's interesting to me, depending on when the last time I checked, if it's my first check in the morning, you know, there may be a hundred to 200 updates. If I've, you know, if this is, I've, I've checked a couple hours previously, you know, then there may only be, you know, 20 to 50 updates. So if it's a story that looks interesting to me, I'll double click on it. And my setting, which you can configure is for net newswire to open a new tab in the NetNewsWire application, but not to select the tab. So I'm still looking at my running stream of headlines. So usually I'll go through by category, double-click on the uh, links that are of interest to me, and then before I move on to the next category, 
usually I'll browse through those links. So when I, and again, in my setting, when I double click on Net Newswire or when I double click on a particular link, it opens up as though it's a web page using um, the WebKit engine that's built into Net Newswire. So I very seldom, unless the page has some kind of funky plugin that doesn't work in Net Newswire, actually open up the page in Safari. Um, once I've got the page open, I have a little bit better idea of what the story is about, how big the story it is. Sometimes I'm not interested and I close it down. Sometimes it's a brief couple paragraphs. I read it and I decide what I want to do with it. Usually after I read it, I close it down and get rid of it. If it's a longer story or a more in-depth story, or if there's something that I want to do with it later, or I want to keep it for some reason, um, NetNewsWire has the ability to either flag a story or to save it into a folder called Clippings, which is you know exactly what it sounds like. It, it keeps those folders or those stories clipped in a special place so you can go back um, and easily access them. And that's really my workflow. Um, you know, there are many mornings or many times when I open up Net Newswire where I read, you know, three or four stories and never click anything and never do anything with them again. Um, there are times when I read stories and I think, you know, this might be information that I want to have or this might be something I want to keep and I'll flag it. Um, or if it's something I really don't have time for, I'll clip it later. Now, that sounds a lot, I think, like your workflow, but we're basically using two different ways to do the same thing. Yeah, and I kind of went there for a while with NetNewsWire, but the problem with it is I ended up with all these clippings. And, you know, you'd have 100 or 200 clipped files, and, you know, it was just overwhelming to me. Oh, you can't let it get that big. And that's why I kind of like the way I do with Google Reader. I go through, and like I say, it, it gets unstarred. Within a few days, I mean, I, I go through and clear it out every three or four days. It, it really doesn't take long because I've got it so quick now. You know, using the keyboard combinations, it's starred and then unstarred, and then I do something with it. So I'm going to pick up where I left off, though. Okay. Be Talk about Instapaper because okay. I use it too, but in a different way. Instapaper for me is is one of these life-changing web apps. I just love it. I cannot say enough about it. So what it is is if, you've got, if you're on any web page, uh, you set up an account at Instapaper. It's free. It's instapaper.com. And then they've got a little uh, bookmarklet uh, of code you can drag into your bookmark bar in your in your browser. And so you can be on any web page, and, and if it's an article that you want to read later, it says read it later, and you just go up there and you click that. And then what it does is it goes through and parses out the uh, the text of that page. So you've got a really nice, clean copy without a lot of the ads and other background noise saved to Instapaper of this page for you to read later and they've got an iphone app that is fantastic i recommend you get the pro one there's a free one and a pro one it's only a couple bucks get the pro one and so then i can go on my iphone i can go on my mac and i can read that article at a later time you know so that's why i don't have any clippings or anything i just have these articles that accumulate and then when i want to read uh then i can go through those um they also if you're a Kindle owner, they also have this great service where they push groups of these out to your Kindle. So uh, one of the things that's happened since I've started doing this is I've read less and less fiction because I get these nice collections of Instapaper pages that I've been wanting to read, and I can just sit down at lunch or whatever if I have time and, and read through them. 
Now, quick question about Instapaper on the Kindle, and let's not dwell on this too much because yeah. I, I know Kindle users are a very small portion of our listenership, but my understanding was is that when you push these things out to the Kindle, doesn't Amazon charge you like 10 or 15 cents per article, or do you do that differently, or is that no, no longer the case? Anytime you push something to the Kindle, it's a 15 cent charge, but you can set the way Instapaper pushes them out. I, I only have it push it out once it gets to 10 articles, so it's 15 cents for those 10 articles. And I don't mind that, frankly. And, uh, you know, uh, Apple's about to make some kind of announcement as we make this recording. And I suspect there will be something that allows me to use Instapaper in a better way. One of the downsides about using it on the Kindle is you can't really mark it as red because it doesn't, you know, phone home back to Instapaper. So sometimes you get some overlap that way. And that kind of annoys me. But anyway, so it's nice. I, I just think Instapaper is great. Uh, I particularly use it for non-tech articles and non-articles that require further work, just things I want to read. And it just it's great. So you go through and you send these off. And like I said, some days I may send one or two. Some days I may send none. Some days I may send a lot. It just depends what my feeds pick up that particular day. Uh, I'm kind of a sucker for the long reads. I like those. So sometimes I end up sending quite a few of those out to be read later. So that's the second thing. So I can either, like I said, I can either send it to OmniFocus, I can send it to Instapaper. Another thing I can do is just read it in more detail and deal with it right then. Uh, so that's another tab that I may have. Another tab may be something I've marked for a friend because a lot of times in my feeds I'll see something. Uh, there was a thing on Lifehacker recently about the best chocolate chip cookies, and my sister-in-law is that's her life's mission to make the best chocolate chip cookies. So I had, Oh, I have a recipe. I have pretty good chocolate chip. cookies. <laughs> well, anyway, I started the article and then it showed up when I worked through my process, I saved the tab and then I just emailed it off. And in Safari, that's very easy to do as well. I emailed the link off to her. So uh, once I get through those tabs, I have either sent them to OmniFocus, sent them to Instapaper or just read them and dealt with them at that moment or sent them off to some other person and I'm done with the the onslaught. I've I've tamed it at that time. Uh, it's it, I'm very happy with this workflow. I've just kind of come up with it the last I don't know four or five months. And in Google Reader, they also have some new tools that allow you to uh, send it to Instapaper directly there. Although I prefer to use the tab system that I do because I think you get a cleaner version. And uh, you know this the system doesn't just work for RSS feeds, and I don't want to say that this show is all RSS because you're getting links everywhere anymore. You can get them from Twitter feeds, you can get them in emails. So whenever a web page is thrown at you, it can go through the same workflow. Okay, I can see where that's very handy, and I use Instapaper, and it's one of those things I used to. I tried to use it the way that you use it. I tried to use it to read things on my iPhone and to read things later on the web browser. Um, but it just didn't fit into my workflow because my workflow is a net newswire. Um, and I found that having this stuff in Instapaper and having this stuff in net newswire um, was a little too much for me to handle. Although I agree that it's a great service where Instapaper, you know, pulls out kind of all the advertisements and gives you just the text. But sometimes I want to see the pictures. So, there are pros and cons to both of that. Um, there is a bug in the NetNewsWire application for Mac. The current version uh, that I am using, let's see, is 3.2.3. And it's a bug that's known on the forums and they're working on it. Um, but for some reason, there is some kind of disparity between 
using the clipping feature in NetNewsWire and using the starred feature in Google Reader. And those two were supposed to stay in sync so that if something's clipped or if something's starred, it syncs back between NetNewsWire, between Google Reader, and whatever other devices you have. And it works with the iPhone version, but for some reason it doesn't work um, with the uh, ver- desktop version of NetNewsWire. So hopefully that will be fixed soon, possibly by the time you hear this. But I use Instapaper to kind of um, make up for that. And one of the things that you can do with Instapaper is you can create, get this, an RSS feed of your unread Instapaper items. That's an option when you log into your Instapaper account. So I tend to use Instapaper um, for everything that gets thrown at me that doesn't come in through NetNewsWire. Um, so anything that I get via email or anything that I get through just a general web clipping, I can clip into Instapaper. And then as that stuff processes through, because I subscribe to it as an RSS feed, it comes back through into my NetNewsWire, um, which is where I manage all of this stuff anyway. So I'm using Instapaper as an intermediary to get all the stuff that is thrown at me from other places into NetNewsWire. And I'm using it temporarily to make up for the clipping bug, but I anticipate that once that's resolved, I'll continue to use Instapaper just to feed all of that other stuff back into NetNewsWire where I regularly manage it. That's a really interesting use. I was I was quite pleased with myself when I figured that out. Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I, I just can't say enough about how much I like using Instapaper. I really like the process of reading an article on the Kindle or the iPhone or not on my Mac. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV in the evenings. I'll sit down with it and just read. And I love it. And, you know, another thing is I, I do a lot of reading in general. I mean, I, I, you know, Mac Sparky editor, so I'm reading stuff about the Mac. But I'm also, you know, an active business litigation attorney. So I have all these feeds about new cases and changes in the laws and things like that. So I'm constantly reading I also send, you know, work-related papers and other things to my Kindle and to my um to my iPhone for reading later. And I just like the process of not doing it in front of a laptop. And I'm not really sure why, but it feels better to me, like I said, to make a cup of tea and sit down and read it. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this tablet thing coming out. But uh Instapaper for me was a real game changer in that respect. And if you haven't tried it yet, definitely give it a shot. And that's just a great place to put things that you want to read later. Um, okay. So I think I've probably yammered on about that enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, one point I'd like to make about this whole onslaught thing is, you know, managing the onslaught also means a data diet. You know, how much do you really need? I remember last year at Macworld, I was talking to a friend who hadn't been checking his RSS feeds and he showed me his, uh, little tab he had like 1500 unread articles so he must have had you know a lot of feeds just in a couple days it just got overwhelming and it got me thinking you know you have to be reasonable about this you know even once you get this rss workflow down and you know how you want to deal with this stuff you don't need to have every feed on the world well it just it it, that's one of the reasons why i like net newswire is because if I do tend to get a little overzealous with my feeds, I at least have these categories. So I don't always check all of the categories all the time. I may check one category a couple of times a week. I may check another category a couple of times a day. But I agree with you completely is that, you know, it's omit. I, I tend to do a lot of decluttering and declutter your net newswire, declutter your RSS feeds, because if it gets to the point where you've got so much that you're not reading that it's unmanageable, it doesn't do you any good. 
Yeah, I I recommend about every six months just blow it out and you know bring back the stuff you really use. You know, as an example, uh, in my Mac feeds, I only have a couple feeds I follow on the Mac. I follow MacWorld and I follow Daring Fireball, and then I follow a couple small blogs, you know, like Don McAllister's and yours. And you know, and that I get all the information I need. You don't need. You know, I was talking to a friend who has all these Mac feeds, but he gets essentially the same article. Eight times because a lot of these websites just copy each other anyway. So, well, and you know, there are a couple of websites in particular that I need to trim out of my feed, and I won't name names, um, but we all know who they are who don't really publish any of their own content and just republish everyone else's stories. Yeah, so you know, just take a look, and that's just that's my Mac example. But whatever it is that you follow in your life, if you're into you know hot air balloons or whatever, you will find a couple good feeds that have the information you need. And then ask yourself, do you really need any more? Because once you keep it to a manageable level, it's so much easier to process it. And it's more enjoyable to just, you know, get the stuff you need and not get hung up on all this. And, you know, another thing is, you know, RSS days may be numbered. A lot of people are are ditching RSS and going to the next level and saying, I'm just going to read my Twitter feed. I'm going to subscribe to the people that are interesting to me in Twitter, and I'm going to get the news I need there. Could you do that? You know, that's... That's another point is that a lot of these websites that I follow in my RSS feed have Twitter accounts. I'm getting the same information duplicated there, too. Yeah, well, some people are, are done so Twitter with, becomes an RSS Yeah, feed. I mean, some people are just done with RSS, and they just use Twitter. They don't have to do any processing. If they see it in the Twitter, then they deal with it. I'm a little I don't t- think I'm ready to do that. <laughs> Me either. I like, the, I like to be able to go catch up because one of the things I do is I go on Internet blackouts all the time at work because I have to get work done. So I'm, it may be... Uh, it may be just the the evening the first time that I have a chance to check my RSS or I don't log in Twitter all day. And I like the ability to go back and see what happened during the last 24 hours. Now, do you use anything to filter your Twitter? No. Okay. I, I need to do that, frankly. I've, I've followed too many people. I think I'm following like 300 people. And uh, as a result, I don't catch some of my friends, my best friends' uh, Twitter uh statements. So at some point I'm going to do something about that, but that's another show. Okay. Okay. So that's the onslaught, you know, no matter which way it comes at you, find a way to go through and process it quickly and try to limit the amount of data streaming at you. And you will have a much better experience with all this information out there. All right. So let's talk about some follow-up from um, our previous episodes. And, gosh, you know, we're still getting follow-up on this Information Manager yeah, that's, episode. That's the show that just keeps giving. It is. And I think we're going to have to, you know, revise and, and probably do another Information Management show in a couple of months or a year or so because these products just keep evolving and our needs keep evolving. We, you know, we could really do a full show just on all the feedback we've had on information managers because everybody has got great ideas and they come and say, hey, how come you didn't talk about this or this is how I do it? And frankly, uh, we appreciate all that email coming in, but w- there's just not enough time to address it all. But there was a couple uh, articles of note. Uh, uh, Malcolm sent us one about uh, Soho notes. And actually, we got several people writing in about Soho notes. And I, I w- you know, I've been kind of peripherally aware of it, but uh, it's really a, a powerful application. Yeah. Now, Malcolm kind of had a love-hate relationship with Soho Notes, didn't he? Yeah, but uh, I think it ended with love. Okay. So that's one to check out. Uh, we also got a lot of email from people who were really liked the Together application. And 
we mentioned it, but we really didn't talk about it in any depth on our information management show. And I think we got a couple of questions from people as to why did you talk about the ones that you talked about? I mean, obviously, we talked about our two choices in depth, but there were also a couple others that we, you know, spent a couple of minutes on and highlighted. And, um, you know, perhaps we can kind of a, a address why we chose the ones we chose. And the, there's really no um, uh, magic or, or mystery to that process. It's simply... Um, the ones that we had access to, the ones that we could be familiar with, and um, the ones that we could try. I mean, no matter how much time we put into prepping episodes, there's no way we would be able to try everything that's out there. Actually, in this particular topic, if we went on information managers, the show would be about 12 hours long. Right. <laughs> we really talked about everyone there. Somebody, in fact, there was a new one that just came out recently. Uh, it kind of looks a lot like notebook and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just like every week there's another one. So, uh, there's a lot out there and yeah, this, this may be an episode we revisit in a couple yeah, of months or, you know, I think we're going to have to re take another look at the approach. Maybe we'll find a way to break it down into f- more detail. Uh, another, uh, Paul wrote into us about voodoo pad and, you know, I had forgot about voodoo pad. I had used it for a while and it's kind of like a, um, kind of like a personal wiki, I guess is a way to put it where you can link, all these files and they jump back and forth. It's, it's actually pretty neat. Um, uh, it doesn't really work for me uh, with the way I work now, but it's, it's definitely worth looking into. I think it'd be good for a student if you wanted to just like take random notes and be able to tie it all together. Okay. And, um, and then the other option is always just, you know, David is your fond of um, nested folders. Yeah. This is sometimes if you can be organized enough, um, the pretty most, the minimalist point of view is, t- is to have a series of files and folders that are organized and, you know, maybe set up some Hazel actions to automate some of that. But, you know, th- there you go. this was kind of a forehead smacking email. Ron had wrote us saying, hey, you know, how come, why, why don't you talk about nested folders? Well, that's what I talked about in our paperless episode because that was ultimately kind of my solution. And in a lot of ways, that is kind of an information manager where a lot of people put all their bills and stuff into Evernote or someplace. I just use them in nested folders. And uh, a lot of my data probably goes that route as well. Maybe that's why I'm not really excited about any of these information manager applications. That could be. I have to say, though, uh, even since that show recorded, I've been using Bento increasingly. And I'm finding a lot of uses for Bento. Maybe we'll do a show on that one day. People are interested. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, We also had some feedback from the DNS show, Uh, um, and that was from Bruce. No, I'm sorry. It was from Stickin'. Yeah. Um, Made a a really good point, and, you know, this is something that I've run into from time to time, and I really didn't think a whole lot of it, but, you know, we, we recommended that best practices was to change the DNS on your home router, and that covers everything that's in your home. Um, but if you have a laptop and you go outside of your home, then all of a sudden you're not using OpenDNS anymore. Or you're using whatever the DNS provider is of, um, you know, wherever else you happen to be. Um, and, and to some people, that's not really a problem. You know, if I use OpenDNS 90 to 95% of the time, I'm happy with that. And I really just want protection primarily or not necessarily protection, but customization primarily at my home. Um, but if you want to use OpenDNS everywhere, um, especially on laptops, you may also want to change your DNS settings on your laptops as well. Otherwise, once you leave, they'll they'll get whatever um, you're connected to. So if that's something that bothers you or if you always want to use OpenDNS all the time, um, you can change the settings directly on your laptop. 
and I got a lot of email from listeners who were appreciative of us pointing them towards OpenDNS. I think a lot of people just didn't know that was out there. And, well, uh, I think people, I think a lot of people didn't know it was out there. I think a lot of people kind of had heard about it but weren't quite sure what the big deal was. Yeah, another problem I think is a lot of people were intimidated about what it was going to take to set it up, and, and George was so good about yeah, explaining two it. two minutes. Yeah, it was really easy. Okay, so that covers our prior shows. We've got a couple things going on. Um, we're getting ready for Macworld. Woohoo! Uh, I've been I've been forgetting to say on our shows that uh, I've got a discount, a fifteen percent discount for anybody that wants to go to any of the sessions. Not even mine. You can go to any of the sessions at Macworld. Just when you register, type in D Sparks, and you will get a, an automatic discount. And I have been really busy getting ready, so uh, I'm I'm really excited about this. I think we're gonna have a great time. And we're going to be speaking at 2.30 on the 13th on the Macworld show floor. Right. And the Mac Roundtable is also, I believe, at 11 o'clock earlier that morning. Yeah. So that's going to be so a lot of fun. So Saturday of Macworld's a busy day. Yeah. And what's our next show? Our next show is, uh, we're going to do another one of these one-topic shows. Um, and our next show is going to be on 1Password, which is one of, if not my favorite Mac applications that I absolutely positively could not live without. And I think there's still a lot of people who aren't, you know, don't necessarily understand what 1Password does. I mean, it it does several things, but most people are really only familiar with, you know, the password filling or the form filling aspects. But especially with their 3.0 version, they do a whole lot more. And, you know, we should mention that 1Password is not sponsoring the show. They didn't ask us to do the show. Um, it's just a show that we've wanted to do for a while because we, we both get a lot of use out of one password. Yeah. And, and it's one of those apps when I kind of show somebody and they see the light, you can just see the, you can see them light up. It's just a great app. But my, I just, my wife, who is not a geek at all, uh, the two apps that she uses on her Mac all the time are text expander and one password. You know, what, what somebody sees some of these apps, they just love them, you know, so uh, I think that'll be a fun one. And there's a lot of data storage uh, uses for 1Password I don't think a lot of people even realize exist. So we want to um, give you some contact information for us. The uh, easiest way to reach both of us is to send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That will go both to David and I. Sometimes he'll respond, sometimes I'll respond, sometimes we'll both respond, but usually somebody responds. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Mac Power Users, and we try to respond to comments we get there as well. Um, and our website is the source of all of our information. You can download our show. You can check out our show notes. You can find that at MacPowerUsers.com. And don't forget about the 20% discount on the Smile on My Mac products by going to SmileOnMyMac.com slash MPU. Uh, you can pick up PDF Pen for all of your tax preparation needs, and also check out some of their other great software. If you don't have Text Expander yet, go take advantage of it while you get the 20% discount. We'll be talking about that one soon. Yeah. All right. Well, Katie, thanks for uh, podcasting me with this morning and dealing with my congestion. No problem. Hope you're feeling better next time I'm, we do a show. I'm going to go take my medicine right now. All right. Until next time. All right. Bye.